Swing and a drive. Right field and deep. Back goes Aquino. It's got a chance. Gone. Get out the tape measure. Long gone. Fly the W. Cubs fans, it's time to fly the W with Dustin Rhodes and Paul Crawley-Jean. You are listening to the Fly the W670 podcast. This is season three. It's episode number six. Jed and Carter on the 2023, the offseason, and the path forward. Don't forget to download, listen, review. Most importantly, subscribe to the podcast. Follow us on the socials. Follow the Fly the W670 on Twitter, Instagram. Of course, we're on Facebook. And email us at flythew670 at gmail.com. Crawley, happy Thursday, pal. Oh man, my voice is slowly coming back. I sound, I, I don't sound like a frog as bad anymore. So I think it, it uh, the recovery from CubsCon every year, every year takes a little bit longer for me. So <laughs> <laughs> what are you saying? It takes a little bit longer to recover, huh? A little, little bit longer. I don't have youth on my side anymore. I, you know, I, I got to find some like young interns to help me out at CubsCon so that uh, I get a little bit of rest, maybe a nap or two in there. Yeah, little uh, nap never hurt anybody. There's no <laughs> doubt about that. So we've got a lot to talk about, starting with what we heard a little bit deeper dive with uh, Jed and Carter. Yeah, on the last podcast, we, you know, we had the Shodi Managa press conference, which was awesome. Opening ceremonies, we talked with Cole Wright. But in this episode, we're going to look a little bit deeper into those comments made by Jed and Carter. Now, we heard from Jed when the season ended, he does the, you know, the autopsy. And then we heard both of them in the winter meetings, but to me, Dustin, it's like the Cubs convention. This is what's special about it. It allows fans to hear, you know, uh, their thoughts and, and they have to be careful about what they say. There's certain rules regarding what they can say as far as free agents and stuff like that and tampering, but you know, they're pretty honest when you listen to what they have to say. And, and so, you know, we took some of the clips uh, from last weekend, Jed and Carter talked with 670, the score was it a Molly and Haw show, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, on different panels and all that stuff. So we got some good things. And there was just kind of some themes that we kind of grouped things into. Um, we talked about 2023 coming up a little bit short. And, you know, I think the, a real big part of that was the amount of blown leads at the beginning, at the end of the season, Dustin. And some of that was due to free agents not panning out. Players that took a step back. Some young players couldn't get it done at the major league level. And then obviously overuse and injuries and so when we looked at all the problems that they had you know this is what one player said about the bullpen i mean if you look to when we were playing our best ball other than kind of right after the all-star break right we were scoring you know 40 runs a game almost like i feel like we were <laughs> pummeling teams but a lot of you know when we started having that success i want to say it was the early parts of june i think we were out in san francisco that's kind of when the run started it wasn't just like a nine to two cruise games, right? Like there was a lot of five to threes, right. four to ones, you know, seven to six. There was a lot of close games. So when that happens, <clears throat> no one's able to get off their feet. Um, the bullpen guys are having to be ready. The position guys have to stay. Um, there, there's just so many things of like, oh, well, I got to keep my best players out there even for the duration of the game uh, because you'd like to be able to, you know, be up 10 to one take a couple innings off and that really kind of helps add some fuel at the end of the year uh, and same for the bullpen guys right, right. like you know Merriweather, Leiter and Owsley are having to throw you know each and every day and Fulmer stolen a ton and we had so many guys that were warriors for three months but we just couldn't sustain it at the end because we just didn't do a good enough job on ourselves to you know early on to exactly. capitalize on yeah. that and I think that that's where we're just talking about with the depth with Shota and um, you know you you hopefully they can build some depth in the bullpen and all of a sudden you can put different guys in different spots to be able to trust that they can get outs and we can have a better year. I mean, if you look to when we were playing our best ball other than. So as, as we kind of listened to that clip right there, I mean, it was clear, like at the beginning of the season, you didn't have like the bullpen wasn't established, right? It, it really, and there was a lot of blown saves. I don't think anyone really knew their role. And part of that big run that they were talking about there happens around June on a West Coast trip. and San Francisco is accurate. And then all of a sudden they go on this run. But they were 10 games under, Dustin. They looked dead in the water. 
And now they had to work their tail off to get back into it. And every guy has to play every game just to get back into it. And then, you know, those names that he mentioned, I think when, when the Cubs were doing their best, you had some combination of, you know, Merriweather, Leiter, and Alzali, you know, seven, eight, nine. But but those are guys that weren't used to having to go all those high leverage innings. And and sure enough, you know, Alzali was down at the beginning of September. You, you know, you you saw Merriweather was the one that stuck around, but uh you it looked like Leiter Jr. ran out of gas. It did, he seemed to have some bumps and bruises. I don't know if you know everyone does at that time, but he just kind of ran out of gas themselves. And so I think, you know when you think about it, these are the people, Dustin, that were all in the bullpen. Alzali, Assad, Nick Birdie, Jose Quas, Jeremiah Estrada, Michael Fulmer, Brandon Hughes, Anthony Kay, Caleb Killian, Mark Leiter, Luke Little, Julian Merriweather, uh, Michael Rucker, and Drew Smiley. And so there was just this big kind of like, you know, rotation, but it wasn't like anybody you could really, there wasn't a lot of confidence in a lot of guys not named uh, Alzali and Leiter and Merriweather. Right. And a lot of guys, they also had made the point that they wanted to have all their best arms, all their best arms up at the major league level. And guys have to learn, right? They're, they're, these are new things. Like you said, a lot of guys and you know, it seemed like everybody was probably in one inning earlier than they probably should be in a perfect setup. Right. Right. And, and so, you know, everybody was pitching in one higher of a leverage situation than they're probably set up to do, at least at this point in their career. And we saw that when the Cubs got Chapman and then that put that pushed um, Rondon back to eight and it pushed stroke back to seven and it just lengthened out the bullpen like you're talking mm -hmm. about. Right. Exactly. And, right. And this is what, um, you know, you know, Jed said that the. Um, talking about the priority of getting more bullpen arms we've offered we've offered some this offseason it's not my not my favorite thing you know in general um but you know certainly the, the bullpen is a an area of priority um so it's a hard area you you can look at some teams that have built through multi-air deals that have struggled and you look at some teams that have built through this smart targeted transactions that have had a lot of success so there's a lot of ways to skin the bullpen cat but we do need to um to focus on it uh, you know, it was an Achilles heel last year for sure. I mean, that's pretty serious when you call it an Achilles heel, right? Yeah. Yeah. There was no sugarcoating it there. Very, no. very, very direct. And we talked about this on the show. Brandon Hughes was going to be the lefty and he was hurt and he never got on track. And so you had no lefty out of the bullpen. Anthony Kay was given a shot, you know, later on Luke Little, who again was just getting his first taste of the bigs. And so, you know, you didn't have a lot of left-handed pitchers. And then Brad Boxberger was a guy that was really supposed to be the one that was going to be the difference maker. That was the guy that was going to kind of be the anchor. I think in Jed's world and, and bullpens, Jed brings us up a lot are very volatile. It, it kind of like makes it, it kind of evolves itself. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But I think in an ideal world, Jed had Boxberger at nine and Fulmer at eight. And you know, Boxberger was just a disaster and Fulmer had his moments. I think he was up and down a lot. He had some, you know, good moments, some not so good moments, but I thought those two were supposed to be the anchors. And those were the guys with experience, Dustin, and, and really didn't, they weren't guys that you could count on at all during the season, really. No, mm -mm, could not. Um, we'll see what happens. I mean, there's still plenty of time to build this thing, right? Um, yeah. And you have to give them the time. You know, I mean, there's other pressing Everything is important. Um, this just might not be the most important thing right this second, but it, it it all it all matters. It all matters at the end of the day. Right. And one thing is is that Bruce Levine was doing uh, inside the clubhouse and you know talking about the possibility of trading and, and then the name that keeps coming uh, coming up. And I heard it. I think it was yesterday morning. Emmanuel Kloss from the Guardians. He was up there. Um, he, uh, Bruce mentioned the Astros, Ryan Stanek, and then the Mets, Adam Adovino, who I swear the Cubs were in on years ago, like six, seven years ago. He was with the Mets. But, you know, a veteran presence, I think, is going to be something that you really kind of want to have here. And I think any one of those guys. Now, now Klaus is gonna, from Cleveland is going to cost you. That That's going to be a, a painful one. But the Cubs, as we're going to talk about later, have prospects if you're willing to make the trade. I, I always felt that Jed really has done a good job with bullpens. This was the one year that just didn't happen. Like I said, a couple guys just didn't pan out Boxberger primarily, but 
when when Jed and Carter were talking about um, bullpens, I, I thought I I talked about this on the last episode. I really was impressed with Carter Hawkins. Um, he talked about the bullpen usage and how it had changed. And this is what he had to say. Last year, I thought that we, we got tired. You know, it was a strange season that way. Um, early in the season, our bullpen was fine. Uh, we had the bad 45-day stretch, sort of May and early June. The bullpen struggled, and then they struggled again in September. Um, you know, I, I think some of that was not having enough depth down there. And then some of that was the fact that we, just, we were winning every game for three months, and that takes a toll on the, on the bullpen. Like I said, we didn't have the depth to get through that. And that's a big focus, both making sure our guys in the, in, that come up through the, the system can, can handle that depth and also making sure we add that depth uh, in free agency and trade before the season. But, you know, the game has changed so much now. It used to be that you could kind of pencil in your, you know, your rotation. We used to always talk about, you know, can we get 950 to 1,000 innings out of the rotation? I mean, that feels like, you know, 100 years ago. Um, you have to have so many arms to, to win the battle now. Now, it's not just about you know the, the 13 guys we pencil in. It's probably closer to 25 or 30, and the team that can get through the the, the battle is gonna is gonna be effective now. So um, the game has changed, the velocity has changed, the way people uh, the way people pitch. I mean, talking to our new manager about it. I mean, yeah, he wants to give guys extra rest. You know, he's not looking for guys to be pitching 170, 180 innings. He knows that you know 120 to 140 is probably a lot. How do we mix and match all the guys to get through you know, the 1440 of the year? And it's a real challenge now. And I think that is where the job has changed the most, that almost every night we're talking about a roster move. Is it, you know, are we fresh enough? Do we need to get a, a pitcher? Um, that was never the case. You know, now it's very rare you don't use four and five pitchers in every single game. And uh, that's not just the Cubs, that's everybody. So... Um, it's definitely a very different perspective on team building than it used to be. Even, you know, looking at 2016 when we had, you know, you know, you just had Lester and Jake and Lackey and Hamill and Hendricks eating up so many innings. Like no one in baseball has that anymore. I mean, that, that's that. You know, when you think about it, we were talking Fergie Jenkins when he got a statue. How many how many times he pitched 200 innings? And and now it's just becoming a rarity. And, and now now Jet's saying 120, 140, and you hear everybody talking about the fact that you're only going to let your starter go three times through the order. And so as you look at that, Dustin, I looked at the records of the Cubs in 2023. When they led in the sixth inning, they were 11 and 13. When they were, I'm sorry, when they were tied in the sixth inning, they were 11 and 13. When they were tied in the seventh, they were seven and 12. When they were tied in the eighth, they were seven and eight. When they were tied in the ninth, they were three and seven. Extra inning games, they were three and six. One run games, they were 21 and 24. Two run games, they were nine and 17. So it seems like every close game, Dustin, they, they lost a lot of close games. And that's, you know, part of it's going to be on the offense. You got to score more runs. But at the same time, if you're tied, you know, you also have an opportunity to win that. And they just didn't do that a lot. No, no. And those are some great statistics that you're sharing about what guys did in the uh, different innings and different usages. Um, and yeah, everybody's got to be, you know, of a, a mindset. Uh, to me, I don't, I don't get it. I, I want to talk to Tommy Hadovy about it more. I don't understand why you can't just be given the ball, go get the guy out. Like, why? Why does it matter? Like, uh, there's a guy on base, and it's the ninth inning, it's the seventh inning, it's the sixth. Here's the ball. Get on the mound. Get the guy out. That's up to bat. I, I, I just don't. I, I don't. I don't get it. Like, you know, everybody has a job to do, right? And like, it usually doesn't change based on the hour of the day that you're in. Like, okay, because you're in your seventh hour of your workday, you're expected to do more or less than you were in hour number two of your workday. Now your responsibilities could change, of course, but at the end of the day, usually it's the same thing. You, you know, Crowley, your, your big boy job is to teach kids, right? Right. It doesn't matter. It, it doesn't change. Like how you teach them doesn't change in sixth period versus what it did in second period. Now it might be a different age kid. It might be a different subject, but at the end of the day, it's teaching. Here's the ball. Get the batter out. It'd be interesting to talk to Tommy about that or, or, you know, maybe, you know, and, and then kind of compare that to what a veteran pitcher might say, you know what I mean? Like, you know, mm -hmm. back in the day, it's just, it's a different mentality. 
Uh, I think it's kind of, you know, I wouldn't be an expert on it, but maybe how they came up, how they've been coached through all these different leagues and, and everything like that. I mean, possibility. Uh, two players from last year that I think are going to be a big part of the story this year, and they talked about them with Seiya Suzuki and Christopher Morel. Dustin, if you remember, Seiya came to camp last season all buff, ready to play in the WBC, and an oblique injury knocks him off. He did okay and started to pick it up, but then he went into a horrific slump and he got benched. And after that benching, Seiya played like a man possessed. And this is what, and there's an interesting story of how he got back on track. This is what Jed had to say about that. Ultimately, when you look at a team that has, that outproduces its expectations, you know, you, you look at our projections at the beginning of the year. In order to win, the teams that win, the teams that go, you know, uh, further than expected, those are always going to be teams that a couple players, you know, they, they're projected for two and a half, they, do, they go to four and a half wins, right? And so you have to expect that. And I think Say is one of those guys that can definitely do that. Um, he's immensely talented. Um, he really is. I think what we saw at the end of the year hopefully was a harbinger of things to come where he's, he's starting to get comfortable. You know, kind of a funny story. We're talking about velocity. And, uh, you know, the struggle for him early last year and, and some of the time over here was just putting the ball on the ground. You know, his exit velocities are elite. You know, he's hitting the ball 107 miles an hour, but it's on one hop to the shortstop. And, um, and so he's, that was kind of what he was working on. How do I get the ball in the air more, especially to the pull side? And so... Things started to click for him, and obviously he had a monster August and September, and he was getting the ball in the air more. And um, I was asking those guys, like, "Hey, what, what changed? Like, what was the, what was the big moment?" And uh, the big moment was he was struggling, and we're playing the Reds. Uh, I think it was early. I think it was early August, like right after the deadline. And it was one of those games we scored like whatever 19, 20 runs in a couple of those games. And he was facing um, a position player pitching at the end of the game. And he was just like, okay, this swing nice and smooth, catch the ball out front. The guy's throwing 58 miles an hour, and he hit a huge won't homer. Was that? The guy throwing 58 won't get hurt, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and so he hit a long home run against a position player, and it was like, that was it. That's the swing. Catch it out front. And from that day forward, he took off, which is great. So it's, it's amazing when people talk about like what those moments are, that things click. It was just like thinking about catching the ball out front. And so my hope and our hope, obviously, is that, you know, he had a year and a half to transition. It's a hard transition, um, but that we saw the, the player he can be. Because I, I do think he's got one of the best right-hand swings in baseball. Uh, he's so tooled up. Our hope is that he can really uh, start taking off now. Did you hear that, Dustin? One of the best right-hand swings in baseball. Yeah, that's... Uh... Mighty that's, big praise. That's really big. It's really big praise. Really big praise. But Dustin, I was looking at this in the first month back for Seiya Suzuki in May, first full month. He came like mid-April. I just looked at the month of May. He hit 319. Then in June, he hit 177. In July, he hit 240. And then that game that Jed's talking about was August 2nd versus the Reds. He hit that home run. Um, and from that point in July, he, in August, he hit 321 and in September he hit 370. So, you know, when Jed was talking about guys, you know, if you're going to be a winning team, certain guys have to outperform. Say is going to have to be one of those guys. Mm-hmm. No doubt. No doubt about it. No doubt. You know, I think there's more in the tank and I, I, I'm, I'm very interested to see what happens now. One of the names that, you know, that we've kind of taken a look at is Christopher Morell. And Dustin, you and I were a little shocked last year, start of the season. He's in Iowa, right? Yep. Gets called up in May and he does what he continues to do, hit home runs. The question with Morell is where does he play? Now, he's been the subject of trade rumors all winter long. There, there hasn't been, you know, he's been tied to so many different trades with so many different teams. Cleveland, the Mets, go, go, go down the list. But Right now, the Cubs saw him play first and third in the Dominican Winter League, but where he plays or if he plays for the Cubs in 2024 still is unknown. Carter had an interesting comparison to Morrell, and and I really liked Carter's answer on this one. We had similar questions, and I don't want to compare talents because it's not fair to to Mo, but similar questions of where's Jose Ramirez going to play? 
you know, back in 2014, 2015. He was a shortstop coming up. Lindor is playing shortstop. He could play second. Kipnis was playing second. Can he play third? Well, we have some pretty good third basemen. Can he play the outfield? I don't know, but we think this guy can hit. We're going to figure out a way to get him into the lineup. And I think it's a really similar question that we're working through with, with Chris, which is he can hit. We have to figure out ways to get him in the lineup. That's why we had him working at first base in the offseason. The Dominican sent coaches down there. That's why he's working in multiple different positions. You know, if you have a bat that will play in the major leagues, we will find a spot for you to play in the major leagues. We've all seen that he's able to move around. I was talking on the score yesterday, and I was saying something similar to this, and they said, are, are you filibustering right now? And it's like, no, I'm just literally going through all of our different positions and realizing, like, yeah, like if he can step up at any of those his bat is going to be something that just forces us to pencil him in the lineup. Worst case, he DHs a lot. Best case, he's playing great defense for us. He certainly has the athleticism, the hands, the ability to do it. I think there's an opportunity for him to be a great all-around player, and that's the thing that we're going to work on really hard for this offseason. Now, Dustin, I'm I'm sitting here, and, and I'm listening to him, and he's right. Second and short are taken. Outfield spots are taken. So what does that leave him? It leaves him first, third, and DH. And so it has to be one of those three. And I keep kind of getting mixed messages. Is it good for him to be toolsy or do they want him to play one place at the same time, you know, one position and just focus on that? Um, I think with the signing of Michael Bush, it doesn't mean anything because Michael Bush hasn't proven it in the major league level yet. Right. Hopefully yet. Right. Yet's the key (laughs) word. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. But I mean, other than DH, I just don't see where you would put him, right? Right. Well, today, well, I mean, here's the thing: if they were playing, we had this on the on the score today. David Haw and I had a little back back and forth on this. <laughs> the Cubs had to play a game this Sunday. This Sunday, opening day. This Sunday, who's playing third base, based on the roster today? Who's playing third base? I think it's it's one. To, in my opinion. It's one of two people, but I want to hear your opinion. And we didn't plan on this, so I'm kind of – I apologize that I'm kind of – No, 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 no. I, I was listening this morning. I listened this morning. I heard the the, the fingernail debate, but um, uh, yeah. <laughs> we won't go there. But I think – if you want, but yeah. – I, I think Morrell would, would definitely – you got to give him a try. If, if he's going to be on the team, that's where he's got to be. That, that's just where I kind of sit there now. So where, where is he playing? Third base. Third base. Okay, so your opening day third baseman – is Christopher Morrell. Okay, that's yes. fine. Your that's opening day, your opening day first baseman is. I I would so I would say um and I'm going to talk about this in a little bit, but I would say I would platoon Michael Bush and Patrick Wisdom. Okay, and then who's DHing? Uh, you know, at, at that point, you know, it's I'd have to take a look, but you know, I think you can kind of rotate those guys around a little bit. You know what I mean? depending on the situation, righties, lefties, playing matchups. Okay. I don't think and then, right. And then PCA is obviously in center field for you. Yes. All right. And, that, that, and Nick Madrigal is your pinch hitter? You could have Nick Madrigal as a pinch hitter. Mike Talkman's still on the team. Um, couple, And I think Mike Talkman's going to do better. So, I mean, I think you could see I, – I got a feeling we might see a couple more platoons this year in center field right. to start off. I'm saying that, for, doesn't, that doesn't really – as a season ticket holder, Crowley, and as a long-time Cubs fan, that, that opening day lineup doesn't do a whole hell of a lot for you, does it? Uh, not yet. I, right. I think there's right. moves to be made still. And right. so, you know, Jed but is I actually- think I think a couple of the guys, and part of this, and we're going to get into this later in the podcast, you know, we're talking about the Cubs having um, five prospects in the top 50, okay? Five, five prospects in the top 50. But to me – two of the five are really not prospects because they need to be playing on opening day at this point. Right. And they'll be graduated up and the Cubs still have a lot coming through. Um, but you know, Jed did talk about this, this slow off season and it has been absolutely slow. And this is what Jed had to say. Some off seasons are really fast and some are slow. And this is, this has been a slow one. And you know, obviously there's really good players out there. Now, we've made a couple moves. I think we have a, a few more in us for sure, but you can't speed it up. You right. know, um, I think our job is to get good deals, not to just do deals. You know, I mean, anyone can anyone can do a deal. Anyone can say yes, you know, to the agent's asking price. And if you do that, then you're going to run out of money really quickly, you know. And so, you know, the, the he's trying to get the right deal for the organization. That's our job is to invest, you know, 
Tom and the family's money as wisely as we can, and we're, we're going to do that. So we can't speed it up, but obviously there's really good players out there, and um, we have to be somewhat patient. Slow is an understatement, Dustin. I, I mean, <laughs> it's you like, know, you know what, going uphill. That's how slow it is. Right. And Basically, like it's, almost, it's almost in reverse. From the end of October, from the beginning of October, October 1st until January 5th, the Cubs did not sign a single player to their major league roster. They were the only, they were the last team to sign a team to the major league roster. And so if you're looking at that, you know, the Cubs made their first move on January 5th, claiming Brian Severt off waivers from Colorado. The first big move came with the signing of Shodi Managa. That's January 9th, Dustin. That's three days before CubsCon, a little over a week ago. And then they made a trade the same day to get Michael Bush and reliever Yancey Almonte, giving up Jackson Ferris was the big piece on that one. And then uh, poor Brian Severn, who was the first one that they, they the waiver claim, they had to DFA him for Imanaga. So, I mean, there are players out there and, and you know, it, it should be interesting. When you talk about Imanaga, we, we talked about him last time. You know, you have more lefties in the rotation this year than righties, technically. Uh, if you're talking about today's rotation and, you know, the pitching philosopher, I mean, I, I think he's a guy that we're both excited about. And from the clip that we played earlier about Jed, 140 innings, I think Imanaga he, he, he can hit that. I don't think he can hit, you know, 180 or anything like that. I think 140 is more reasonable. The other one, Dustin, that you talked about was, was Michael Bush. He's a 26 year old who is one of the Dodgers top prospects, one of the top prospects in all of baseball, but he was blocked by Freddie Freeman. You know what I mean? You're not playing ahead of Freddie Freeman. And so Bush, they tried playing him in second base. He's 6'1", 210 pounds. He's a lefty, much better hitter than a defender, so to speak. And so, like I said, the Dodgers tried to shoehorn him in at second where they had a need. And that's very similar to Morell. You know what I mean? Like sometimes you just try to shoehorn a guy in. He played first base and left in college. He hits well off of righties as expected. He struggles against lefties. So Dustin, that's where a platoon with wisdom could really be something that Cub fans could be interested in because we know wisdom obviously is the opposite. He's a righty who hits really well off of lefties. And so you got a guy with wisdom who can hit for 20 some home runs. And if you get a guy like, uh, you know, Bush who can maybe, I don't know, it's, it's projecting, but if he can maybe hit 20 home runs, which isn't a lot for a first baseman, right? But between the two of them, you might be able to get 40, 45 home runs out of the first base position. Yeah. And that, and that's, Live with that, right? It's just a matter of how many strikeouts go along with that, right? Right. But you got to go, you know, there has to just be some fear in that some guy's going to take you deep. And when wisdom gets hot, he gets hot. And oh, yeah. and, and hopefully Bush can do the same. Um, but, you know, there's still players out there. There's wins that are, are we could still have. You know, we looked at, we, we created this chart to, to kind of take a look at everything. And a lot of those names are still out there when you look at. A lot uh, of those names are still out there. Right, Blake Snell, uh, Jordan Montgomery, Matt Chapman, Cody Bellinger. But, Dustin, when you talked about the prospects, and I know sometimes we fall in love with our own prospects, there's just something in me that keeps thinking that maybe they just don't want to make a big splash and block guys. Where you're talking about Matt Shaw, one of their top prospects, is going to be playing more third. You know, some of, some of those guys. Now, first base, I mean, Bush is a guy, you know, but if you're telling me that you can get Cody Bellinger and he'd be happy playing first, I would be happy with that decision 100%. Um, I, I still think, I don't think Matt Chapman's coming. I still think Cody Bellinger is going to be a cub. I could be wrong. And again, Bellinger was clearly the elephant in the room at Cubs con. And you have to be careful about what you say, but I think that Jed Hoyer summed it up perfectly, uh, when he said this about Cody Bellinger. No, I think in general, you have to, um, there's a lot of paths that can lead to, to winning. There's not one path that, that leads to winning. Obviously, um, I really like Cody. We've got a great relationship, and he's a great player. Um, but yeah, all the all roads can't lead that direction. You know, you have to have a lot of contingencies, and that's not just about him. It's about anyone. You know that um, if you build a team where one player gets hurt and you can't win, that's not a very good team. You know, this isn't the NBA. Uh, you got to build a team that has depth. You got to build a team that, you know, if someone goes down, you have to have a next man up mentality, and you know, depth is really important. So, you know, if if you can't build a team that if you take one player off that team, they're not very good. We have to look at free agency kind of the same way. Um, and so I think that's how I see it. There's a lot of paths for us to be really good. Um, I'm excited about our team. And, you know, we have more moves in store this offseason for sure. You know, we're, we're certainly not done, but it can't be a one player makes the offseason type deal. Dustin, if, if 
Shohei Otani got injured in April. Would you still think the Dodgers are favorites to win the World Series? I don't know about win the World Series, but definitely be in the postseason still, yeah. Yeah, I would say get far. If you remember when the Braves won a few years ago, Ronald Acuna was injured. He didn't play, and they still won the World Series. Right. It makes sense, but you have to have a lot of talented players. I don't think the Cubs there are yet. There, there's got to be some more moves because as of right now, the Cubs' biggest move was signing manager Craig Council away from the Brewers, and we'll dive deeper into what Craig had to say at CubsCon on the next podcast. You are listening to the Fly the W670 podcast, season three, episode six. Jed and Carter on the 2023, the offseason, and the path moving forward. Don't forget to listen, download, subscribe to the Fly the W podcast. Of course, we'd ask you to leave a five-star review. Baseball Prospectus Crowley has just released their top 101 prospects, and let's just say the future looks bright for Cub fans. In this segment, you are talking to Jeffrey Paternostro, lead prospect writer of Baseball Prospectus, to talk about the young and up-and-coming Cubs. Joining me now on the Fly the W podcast, we're pleased to have on Jeffrey Pastanostro, lead writer for Baseball Prospectus. Jeffrey, how are you doing tonight? Good. We're getting to the end of the, the prospect season. I guess it is. Our last list goes up a week from Monday. We just published the 101, so close to the finish line. Yeah, and, and we appreciate all the work you do, kind of keeping us informed. But I got to ask you, why 101 instead of 100? Is there is there a reason? Uh, there There is one. I don't know it. Uh, that goes back to Kevin Goldstein, who was lead prospect writer. Four prospect writers before me, I think that's right, four or five. Uh, I assume it is. It just, you know, it's one more than 100, right? It's like a marketing thing, uh, more or less. <laughs> so we had, hey, uh, we had one extra name to the end. It works. It works, you know, but, uh, you know, I always tell Cub fans, Hey, the future looks bright. You know, it was weird. We got in that weird, you know, 2021 and you're selling off world series heroes and you're just kind of mm. looking at Jed Hoyer, you know, is this, what are you doing here? And at the time, you know, there's a lot of frustration, but now you're kind of seeing a little bit of, you know, the fruits of all that labor, whether it be trades, whether it be good drafting, whether it be good development. On the last list, the Cubs had the most prospects on your top one-on-one list with yep. nine prospects. That is an unbelievable amount of prospects, at least mm -hmm. in my opinion. <laughs> I mean, it's one of the higher – I think we had probably had maybe nine Padres at one point or nine Rays, something when they were – the system with their peak in the in the late 2010s but yeah this is a very very strong system and it's not just you know sometimes like the cardinals have six names and sometimes they'll be and they have there was nobody else really in consideration but the cubs have nine and i mean i'm nine they, they had eight and then they had nine because they traded for michael bush but even the names uh beyond that initial group you know jefferson rojas jackson ferris had some uh some uh support within our staff and we're discussed in the, in the list process. So it does go even deeper than that. Right. And so I'm just going to kind of go backwards from the highest and get us to the mm -hmm. top rated Cubs here. We start out at number 91 um, with 91, right? Uh, Jordan, or I'm sorry, 94 mm -hmm. Jordan Wicks at 94. And we had a chance to see a little bit of Jordan Wicks yeah. in the majors. Uh, I want to say seven starts. And, you know, it looked like he was able to hold his own. And you got to figure he's going to be up probably one, one of the first guys to get called up if, if there's a need, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, he could, you know, injuries happen in spring training. You know, he could be, it's not impossible. He's in the opening day rotation. He's a difficult type of prospect to rate, I should say. That sort of major league ready, you know, He's not going to be a top of the rotation starter with that stuff, but he's going to be a major league starter, probably a good one. He's ready, you know, former first round pick. So he's not kind of out of nowhere or unheralded or anything like that, but just been very steady throughout his minor league career. You know, you look college arm, college lefty, good changeup, never really had any issues at any level in the minors because you're college lefty with a good changeup. You're any guy swinging through that but also never really dominated a level to the point where you're like, okay, this is a potential top of the rotation starter, one of the best pitching prospects in baseball. And he's been around this range on Cubs lists over the last few years, really since he's been drafted, you know, a little bit higher, a little bit lower as the, the strengths of the system have, have ebbed and flowed, but just a really, a really good major league ready arm that I think can start. And you, you'll see a lot of these, uh, names in that area and even in the top 50 
are guys that don't have a ton of minor league track record, either from injuries or just their your younger pitchers that have been brought around brought around slowly. Um, but Wicks, I think, is ready to you know take the ball every fifth day at some point in the season and be a pretty above average major league starter when he does it. I can't complain with that. Now, a guy that you know comes a little different right out of high school, James Triantos, mm. and he's was at number 91. And I remember I interviewed him when he started out at Myrtle Beach in, in low A. And I'm just thinking to myself, my God, this, you know, just so young. <laughs> He's 18 years old. Yeah. And then, you know, I really feel like, you know, a lot of people really started paying attention to him after this recent Arizona Fall League. Yeah. We liked him out of the draft. He was a name that actually got uh, highlighted for us as, you know, a guy to keep an eye on, right? Uh, you know, second round pick or maybe supplemental first, but not a particularly high draft pick, but a guy that can just really hit. And you mentioned, you know, Myrtle Beach. It's a very difficult place to hit. And I think because of that, his 2022 like stat line wasn't as uh, impressive as you might have hoped. But again, again, high school bat, you know, coming going right into full season ball, held his own, really hit better this year. Uh, Nathan Graham, who sees a lot of our does a lot of our Midwest League coverage, saw him and really liked the bat. And yes, the Arizona Fall League, you got more you got more scouts and prospect writers per capita in one spot than you'll get uh, any other time during <laughs> the year. So if you showcase there, uh, guys are going to take notice. But I think the breakout for him really started uh, earlier in the season. He's another one, too, where it's tough. There's not a ton of power. He did start to hit the ball a little bit harder this year. So again, early 20s, you can see power growth is not uncommon in those ages. So maybe there's a little bit more there, but I don't know if he's going to be really be a slugger, not really going to be a shortstop, but again, a very nice everyday player. Right. I guess for Cub fans, everyone's just kind of trying to figure out where the glove would play. You know what I mean? I know yep. they tried him out a little bit in center field yep. in the AFL and stuff like that. So it, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Now yeah, I think I mean, his best position, I think is second base. Obviously that's going to be occupied for a bit, but he is enough of a, of a, an athlete that I think you could definitely play him. In the outfield, he can play some third base too. So, and maybe a guy that just moves around is needed. All right. Uh, Moises Ballesteros, first time on your list at 84. I saw Moises at Myrtle Beach this year. I went and, and I saw him and Michael Arias, and that was a fun combination mm. to watch. Yeah, but yeah. I, I mean, he's another young guy that to me, though, just showed like a lot of maturity beyond his years. Just really kind of seemed to be the, the field general, if, if you will, mm. down there. Yeah, I said it is hard to hit at Myrtle Beach. It was not that hard to hit at Myrtle Beach for Ballesteros this year. Yeah, uh, he's another one. He came onto our radar pretty quickly. Um, you just don't find this kind of bat or this potential bat in a catcher. Uh, he, when we were going through the list process and comparing him to uh, Samuel Basayo, who's a top 15 prospect uh, in the Orioles system right now, kind of similar trajectory. Ballesteros is a little bit older, but the same kind of like, like, wow, this is, this is, it's, everything's here offensively. Uh, he's very precocious for his age. It's, it's good contact rates. It's, the approach is good. The swing decisions are good. There's already present power there and maybe some more to come. And then the question with this kind of prospect is, you know, can he stick at catcher? And he's pretty good for his age. Uh, you know, big guy, but again, somebody that, that Nathan saw this year, uh, a fair bit in, in the high in the high a and you know give him a chance right it wasn't like okay he's going to be a first baseman there's decent amount of flexibility back there he moves well he throws well he receives well like you've got building blocks there a lot of these catcher defensive skills are very teachable too like you can see i mean you, you have the brewers come to town a lot and the brewers are able to really develop these defensive catcher skills and the other hidden thing and we don't consider this for our list and we've talked about it the last couple of years and it does make sort of long-term catcher evaluation and applies to Ballesteros, who's probably still a year or two away. It's like, what's it going to look like if there's automated ball strikes in the majors? And the basically the way we evaluate catcher defensive profiles has to completely change. Uh, and, you know, teams are going to have to figure that out too. Like how, and look, if Ballesteros is receiving, doesn't quite get there, but he doesn't have to worry about that. He's a good catch and throw guy. The bat's good. Like they, that really does change the the defensive outlook. But that's like a global thing that you really just can't consider when a value. You have to kind of assume that it's going to be what it is. And it's going to be a process for him, but he's got a sh shot to stick at catcher and be like a middle of the lineup bat doing it. 
Right. Now, I just came from Cubs convention last weekend and all the prospects were up there. And there's one guy and I've seen him around. I've seen him at Cubs convention. I've seen him play. Kevin Alcantara is just a guy <laughs> that just, I don't he know. It just, he stands <laughs> out and then you got him at number 80. I mean, it's like some guys you're like, hey, is that a ball player? Is that a, you, you know, if Kevin Alcantara, that that's a physical freak right there, a specimen yeah. right there. And, you know, really since the, Rizzo trade like we had looks on him going back to his time in the in the Yankees complex and the the tools have always been there it's just a guy with limbs that long there's so many levers in the swing you do wonder like what's the swing and miss going to be like and we'll talk about that with Owen Casey a little bit too but just the the power potential there is frightening and he is a guy where he improved over the course of the season so his numbers are a little you know he was better than his numbers like a better prospect than perhaps his numbers show because of that improvement at at high a over the course of the season yeah i was talking to brendan king the one of the uh play-by-play -play mm -hmm. announcers for the south bend cubs and he was telling me look that first month and and, and i've I, i've been to south bend yeah, it's in awesome April. Nice, yeah. <laughs> You know that that's that's a real tough adjustment to make. Yeah, it is. And and, and then what, what BK told me is the second April's done, all of a sudden he's hitting 500 foot bombs. That, that yeah. that's just what he does, and it's it's really fun to watch. Now, probably mm -hmm. the Cubs prospect that we're all at least familiar with, at least in in Cubs world right now, is Michael Bush. You know, yeah. just got him the other day in the Jackson Ferris deal. Tell us a little bit about Michael Bush, and you know, obviously he blocked a lot as, as far as in Dodger land. But what what is he like as far as a player is concerned? So he is a very good hitter. Uh, again, you look at his stats. His stats have always been good. And he's like the, the Dodgers brought him along very slowly because the Dodgers do tend to do that with their hitters. And also because, you know, they just didn't really have a place for him on the major league roster over the last couple of years, where in most organizations, he would have been the everyday second baseman, or the everyday third baseman, or the everyday left fielder. Like you would, would have just found a spot for the bat. Uh, his approach is excellent. He hits the ball pretty hard. Uh, you know, he's like a 20, 25 home run guy, probably maybe even a little bit more. Uh, the question with him is going to be, and we haven't seen it. It's very little time at the majors. You know, he got a couple cup of coffee with the Dodgers. Didn't play great. And again, you know, it's wasn't necessarily getting regular playing time or having a, having a clearly defined role on that team because the Dodgers just didn't really have room for him last year is that can he handle major league velocity? And that's kind of been the question there, like 95 plus, you know, does he have the bat speed for it? And you just, it's one of those things where you don't know until he's playing there day in and day out, but he's very good at picking what pitches to swing at. And he's very good at doing damage when he does. So maybe the batting average won't be super high, but he'll get on base. He can hit for power. Uh, you know, I guess, I, I guess the Cubs are talking about playing him at first base, which, mm -hmm. you know, it's uh, fine. I, you'd rather he can play, you know, second, third or left, but really you're just trying to get the bat in the lineup and hoping he can be a middle of the order, order hitter for you. Well, right now the Cubs are looking for a first baseman and a third yeah. baseman. So hopefully, you know, one of those works. And then Owen Casey is at 65. And, and you know, I, I said, you know, boy, the, the last kind of the U Darvish trade and and seeing what he did with Great with England, Great Britain and the World Baseball, mm. or, or I'm sorry, with Canada and the World yeah. Baseball Classic, uh, World Baseball Classic. It just really felt like, you know, the spotlight's never too big for him. He just has a confidence in him that like is, is yeah. fun to watch. So I've liked him a lot even since the draft and he was the guy that did get flagged me you know canadian prep so a little maybe a little more raw in baseball terms but you just like watch his batting practice and you watch the ball jump off his bat and whatever he's had strikeout issues uh in the minors pretty much every year and i say strikeout issues like he he's gonna strike out you know probably 25 30 percent of the time in the in the majors when he gets there but he just does so much damage when he makes contact and that's one of those things where that will cover for a lot of other flaws. If you hit the ball as hard as he does, like he still has to hit it a little more often, but he's a good right fielder, good athlete, good arm. And he is, you know, we talk a lot about middle of the order hitters. So all right, this is a cleanup hitter. This is the guy that can hit 30 plus home runs for you. And look, this, the swing and miss can, can eat into that. Uh, we still need to see him in the upper minors in a little more extended period. And he's got to, he's got to go step-by-step, step, but it's the guy for me, like outside of the, I mean, we ranked him the highest outside of the top two bats, but this is a guy that he, sometimes it's like, okay, you know, we talked about 
Jordan Wicks and, and James Triantos, who are, who are pretty safe major leaguers. Michael Bush is that too. This is the guy where you're dreaming on the upside. And the, the high-end outcomes here are, you know, perennial all-star. Wow. That's exciting to hear. And that, you know, like you said, we're getting in the sixties to the nineties is what we were just mm -hmm. talking about in this tier, but then you kind of jump up and yep. this is where it really gets interesting for me because everybody has been super excited about Cade Horton and what he's been able to do since coming through the Cubs. I mean, just flying through the system and being part of the Tennessee Smoky championship, you got him at mm -hmm. 27. And I mean, he just, he looks like a high-end starter. I mean, he just looks like the real yep. deal right now. Yeah, absolutely. And when the Cubs drafted him last year, I was like, that was a pick that raised a couple eyebrows, right? Not a guy that had a ton of college success, had, had dominated at the at the end of the season and, and in the College World Series with a new slider. But you're kind of like, okay, is that, is that a starter? Like, that's pretty early for, for Kate Horton. And that was the feeling. Of, you know, I got some, some amateur scouts I talked to. It's like, yeah, I liked him, but I would have, you know, I liked him in the 20s. Yeah, where you kind of step pitcher taken. And then this year was just from, from almost day one, really, I was getting reports that like, oh, this is, this is for real. And the other thing too, is there were very few, and this is, this is something that again, happens in cycles. There were very few starting pitching prospects this year that were, that were this good, as good as Horton was and threw as much as Horton did. He didn't throw a ton, but he was healthy the entire season. And he was sort of stretched out as you would stretch out a, you know, a, a top level pitching prospect. There just aren't that many, uh, you know, up until Paul Skeens was drafted, you know, Andrew Painter in the Phillies organization was the, we had him as the best pitching prospect. He didn't pitch all year from Tommy John surgery. Uh, you can look right. in the, you know, a few of the names ahead of him, Ricky Tiedemann had uh, arm issues this year as well. So it's just unusual to find a, at least at this time around, find a pitching prospect that combines his stuff, his level of performance and his, I, I hesitate to use the word durability because it threw like a hundred innings, but that was this level of health, I guess. Uh, you know, it's a guy again that could certainly be a, a 2024 you know, like impact arm in that rotation at some point. Now, you know, a lot of people have been talking about Horton as the number two prospect. A couple of people put him as the number one Cubs prospect, yeah. but you guys had Matt Shaw ahead of him at 21. Another guy yeah. that just, you know, absolutely tore it up this year in the minors again came came up as a part of that group that helped Tennessee Smokies win it all you know and yeah. and just a fun young bat and 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 the question I guess for a lot of Cubs fans is can he play third will the glove play at third that's the big question and if you can get Nick Magical to play a decent third base hopefully you can do the same on Matt Shaw right <laughs> right right I, I I will say at the outset like I I don't have a problem with with the somebody's telling me Kate Horton's the best prospect in this system. Right. I think these three are all pretty close and they're all a tier above the other names we've talked about so far. And Shaw and Horton actually have a lot in common because I, I liked the Shaw pick. We liked Shaw going into the draft, but it's the only guy where they got a prospect, I think a little bit better than you expected at, at, at that pick, right. And at, with that name, right. Cause like Matt Shaw was a, was a good college hitter. We had him like a tier behind uh, Tommy Troy and Chase Davis up the tier behind uh, Wyatt Langford and Dylan Cruz. But uh, I caught him. I did catch a game of his actually in the uh, in the complex when I was down in Arizona. I think it might have actually been his pro debut. And it's one of those things. This is very this is very qualitative. Obviously, I have the you know, talked to the amateur scouts and we have and we again, uh, I, I believe Dathan saw him briefly as well uh, in the Midwest League. But. I have all like the data and the reports to back this up, but it was also like one at bat in. I'm like, that's a major leaguer. And that's like very qualitative and like more art than science, but you could just see it with the bat. I think he was DHing. I don't think he was playing the field at the time, but it was just like, Oh, this is, this is not just like a first round pick. This is a, this is the top of the first round pick. And it was, it was kind of that obvious. I think he'll be fine at third base. Uh, when I worked him up on video, I didn't mind him at shortstop. Um, I obviously I don't, think he was going to be a major league shortstop but he could play there for you in a pinch so i think everything will translate fine to third i don't think that'll really be an issue there it will put a little bit more pressure on the bat and again he's another guy we need to see there were some we we had him a little higher on earlier drafts of the 101 to just a hmm. little insight in how the sausage is made and we got a little bit of pushback just from sort of shopping that ranking around where it's like there's a, some concern about the the swing decisions, basically the approach at this point against better pitching. And again, you don't know until you see it. And he had a very small uh, post-draft pro sample. So that we cooled our jets a little bit there, but 
this is another guy where I think there is uh, star potential uh, overall in the profile. Well, speaking of star potential, you know, when you can go by three initials and everybody knows who you are, I think that really kind of helps the situation. The highest ranked Cub at number 20, mm -hmm. Pete Crow Armstrong. Um, like I said, I was at Cubs convention this last weekend. He had the Frohawk going on. Uh, so he yeah, had the, yeah. the curls and the, sh I mm -hmm. mean, it was, it was a whole thing. Baseball you know, players, uh, minorities <laughs> have a lot of time on their hands to, to do things like that, I find. You know, he, he kind of joked about it. I saw him one time he had his head shaved, you know, uh, dyed blue. I mean, it, he's, 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 he's just an electric kind of player. Yeah. And it's so funny when he got called up and then they were playing in Colorado in that giant outfield. Yeah. I swear to God, it was like, it was like the flash. It was like a lightning bolt going out of there that sometimes I think the, the corner outfields got spooked that they just couldn't believe he was there that quick right there on the play backing it up. And I also kind of laugh a little bit is that there were some people frustrated. Oh, look at the offense. Mm -hmm. He had 19 at bats at the yeah. major league level. And most of them were against like set of guys and closers. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I mean, look, there's, you can have concerns about how much he is going to hit, but he is going to be such a great center field defender. I, I think that's something that can be, can be difficult to really suss out when you're making a prospect list, right? Like I can talk about like Matt Shaw is probably going to be fine at third base. Like James Giantos is probably going to be, I mean, all these guys are kind of in the like average, slightly above, slightly below bucket and really rating uh, and like comparing, I guess, an elite defensive tool to offensive tools and more offensive uh, oriented players can be difficult just because we just know so much more about what a, uh, you know, what a 300 hitter is and what that value is, what that offense and sort of how we, the underlying offensive tools we can look at and not just hit and power, but even drilling down further into things like very granular contact rates and launch angle and exit velocities and things like that. We just have like, it. not that to be clear, not that Pico Armstrong is a difficult scout defensively. He's going to probably win some gold gloves in the majors, but just how do you want to value that against, against Matt Shaw who might hit, you know, 290 with 25 home runs every year. Well, you know, PCA might hit more 250 with 15 to 20 because he hits the ball pretty hard, but there are some uh, contact issues because he's a very aggressive free swinger. And again, that's something that he's going to have to, I think, tamp down a little bit in the majors given more reps. But again, he really just needs to hit enough to keep the glove in the lineup, which is usually it's the other way around, right? You just got to find him a position because you want to get the bat in the lineup. But his defense is so good that. I think he's going to be an everyday player, even if he's, you know, 10% better than or worse than league average hitter. And I think he can get to at least that. And I think there is some, some sneaky upside in the power, too, because he does hit the ball pretty hard for what's not a particularly, you know, big framed guy. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I listened to Craig Council speak and I asked him about bunting because that was something that kind of frustrated Cub fans with David Ross, the previous manager. And, and it's weird because he did bring up PCA. You know, he said, you know, you know, he didn't like asking people that probably weren't good bunters, you know, mm -hmm. to, to do it. But with PCA, he's like, I think that could be part of his game. And that kind of surprised me a little bit. But yep. again, if you've seen the speed, you know, he's that, a, that he's could a be a good runner. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, Jeffrey, I really appreciate you taking some time out. And, and, you know, when you look at this Cubs system, you know, we, we got these players, these nine players that are on here and they're exciting. But I think the thing to me that's different than the last time the Cubs really kind of went on a run is one, the depth in the system. Cause like you said, there's guys that aren't on this list, but you know, when some of these other guys graduate like Jordan Wicks, et cetera, PCA, there's going to be other guys that are going to get added to this list. And the other thing that really sticks out to me is is the is the way that you you know before in 2013 14 15 I could name you 10 to 20 cubs hitters I was excited about I couldn't name you five pitchers to save the life of me that yeah. I was really excited about and I yeah. think the cubs have done a good job at developing that yeah that's been a, that's one of I think one of the bigger uh, changes in the organization recently look they're not the guardians they're not the rays they're not the yankees but they have done a pretty good job bringing a lot, uh, along a lot of uh, a lot of interesting arms in, in the last few seasons. And like, you know, some of them have even like turned into relievers and that's fine too. Like the ability to internally fill your own relief depth and not have to go out and, you know, on the free agent market and pay and pay free agent rates, or even just the, you know, the variation you'll get sometimes year to year with, uh, with relievers. Um, it, it's, it's, it's a positive marker, I think long-term and like, yeah, they are, you know, they were just missed out on a, a playoff spot last year. We had them as the, I had to do org rankings for the, 
annual and we had them third uh, before the Michael Bush trade. I think they're actually second because they're the Dodgers second. So and it was that close <laughs> when I was thinking about it. So that'll flip when we when we publish them on site. And again, this is not just a, you know, they have the the major league ready guys, right? So you have, you have Pete Armstrong and you have Jordan Wicks. You have the guys in the lower minors that are exciting to keep an eye on. I mean, Matt Shaw kind of counts in that. I know he got to double A, but he's a, he's a recent draftee. So you have guys that like are maybe a year away, two years away. You have guys that are further away too. Um, you know, someone like, someone like Michael Arias, who you mentioned. So it, it's a pipeline and it's guys that have, it's, it's what I call like, it's a very well-balanced system, right? It's guys that have upside. It's guys that have major league floor, it's pitchers, it's hitters. It's, it's not just going to come in one, you know, two or three year, window and then you have to kind of kind of figure out what you have from there and where you need to fill in holes you can just have the the sustainable pipeline of prospects and look they'll go out and spend money i do think they will maybe not as much as cubs fans would like but they will i think they will go out in free agency and, and fill the holes and i think they're pretty well positioned to make a little bit of a, a little bit of run back to contention and even the nl central this year that's always a winnable division well, Jeffrey, you've given me a lot to think about and, and a lot to get excited about. Why don't you tell our listeners where they can find your work and where you where you are on the socials? Sure. Uh, it's baseballprospectus.com. We're just wrapping up our prospect list, but you can check out all uh, all 30 teams, the 101. Uh, we have we have scouting reports for, you know, 21 players uh, in each organization. Uh, some not as exciting as the Cubs to be honest, but they're they're all there. Uh, we also uh, are we starting season previews soon? Uh, Pakota week. So all our, all our projections, I think are going to roll out the, the first week in, in February as well. Uh, I go on a, a, a well-earned sabbatical, uh, for a few weeks <laughs> after that, at least until the, uh, the prospect showcases start up, uh, in March in Arizona, but in the interim, you can find me on Twitter at Jeff Paternostra. Well, Jeff, I appreciate it. And trust me, anytime you have such good news, you're welcome on the show. Even if you <laughs> don't, we'd love to it, have you it'll on. It'll be, again. it'll be good for a while. I think so. All right, then we'd be looking forward to seeing you again. Jeffrey, thank you so much for jumping on. Thank you. This is episode six of season three of the Fly the W670 podcast. Carly, great job with that interview. Don't forget to listen, download, and subscribe to the Fly the W podcast. And don't forget, leave us a five-star review. All right, Crowley, uh, we talk about players from CubsCon and all the fun, the bingo, and the autographs. But there's some other news that comes out of that event. Yeah, this was on 670, the score. Uh, you had Crane Kenny. There was no business ops, which was always one of my favorites. And, and that's where stuff like this would come out. Of course, uh, right. Yeah. You know, but but David Hall was on it. And and, and so there, there's a couple questions um that 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 you know he was able to get to. And I think one of them was the winter classic. And Dustin, I don't I know you're a, a bigger hockey, definitely a bigger hockey guy than I am. But I, one of my regrets, I would say, is I had an opportunity to go to that first winter classic, and I did not go. Mm. Um, I am not a guy that would want to be sitting in the freezing snow. It would look like a fun experience, you know, but I never went to that winter classic. So this is what Crane had to say about it. Did you say hockey game? Yeah, we had one in 09. And yeah, I know. Is there one coming? Because just go back to, to connect the dots. The, there was a report after the Winter Classic this year in Seattle with the Kraken that the Blackhawks might be in line because of a guy, young man named Connor Bedard. And Chicago makes a lot of sense for the NHL to look at because of those realities. Wrigley Field makes a lot of sense because of your history hosting hockey games. Is that a realistic possibility? Yeah, we're very hopeful. So I'd say, you know, we, we put our hat in the ring for things like the MLB All-Star Game. Clearly, we put our hat in the ring for a Winter Classic. Um, we love having our Northwestern's ga Northwestern games next year with the renovation of their building. Uh, we may have more than one. So um, we did Top Golf this year. We'll do that again, I think, at least once, maybe twice. That was a huge uh, success. So, yeah, but we're, we threw our hat in the ring on the Winter Classic. We're hopeful there. All right. Very would cool. you like, very, would you very like cool. to see Connor Bedard at Wrigley Field? Have you been to a Winter Classic? I have never been. I've watched plenty of them uh, on television, but never have been. All right. Well, if you want tickets, let me know early and I'll make sure to put some aside and maybe, maybe that's a field trip over to see that. I don't know. I don't even have a, I, I think I have a Cubs hockey Jersey or sweater. It's called a sweater. Uh, I think I can a find sweater. It. Yeah. A sweater. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure you've got a Cubs knit cap and I'm sure you've got a Cubs <laughs> scarf and uh -huh, all the things you would need to build a 
Crowley Blackhawk Snowman. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that's that's something right there. But uh, All-Star Game, they're talking about security measures, Dustin, still. And I still just think it's ridiculous. The earliest the Cubs can have the All-Star Game is 2027. Uh, you know, the last time that the Cubs hosted the All-Star Game, Ryan Sandberg was the winner of the Home Run Derby with three. And that's 19. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? <laughs> that's amazing. That's an amazing statistic right there. You win a lot of bar bets with that one. Right. And, and you just think about all the beauty, how Wrigley looks so different from 1990. Like if you were brought down from like a, you know, a spatial, I mean, the it looks similar, but the whole area inside, outside, around the ballpark looks so much better. It is ridiculous. That the Cubs have to keep waiting 2027. I'm not getting any younger, Dustin. I want to get this thing going. <laughs> Don't start that. Don't start that. I want an all-star all, game. All of our biological clocks are ticking, but don't, uh, don't, don't, don't get your countdown clock on just, just yet. Now, speaking of Sandberg, we know I went to the session with our friend Lucella. He's been on the podcast before. Uh, for everyone, uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel on Six Seventy The Score. This is a picture right here of myself with Lucella, and that's a, a bust of the Ernie Banks statue. It's gigantic. Cool. It, it was that's there. And then what he kind of showed us in this was, you know, the glove, the, the, and then if you got to see it up close, the Rawlings glove that he had and the Franklin batting, uh, batting, uh, glove, it's just absolutely amazing. So, I mean, obviously they're going to do this on June 23rd. Now the question is, is that going to be a day game or a night game that's going to affect things? But if you have not sold your tickets for June 23rd, I would put them in your pocket and make sure you don't get rid of them because that is going to be amazing. There's going to be tons of players from the 1984 team that are going to be there to support their teammate. The first non, I would say, 1960s Cub player to get their statue. Yep, it's a cool one. It's one that I'm really curious to see how it turns out. Now, uh, speaking of second baseman, Dustin, I don't know if you were watching the MLB network the other day, top 10 second baseman right now, the Cubs, Nico Horner comes in. This is by the experts. This is not by the fans, although the fans voted him 10th place too, but the yeah. experts voted him 10th place. Do you really think there's 10 better second baseman than Nico Horner? I'd have to take a real deep dive into that formula to figure that out but do i think no i do not i do not agree with that not not even a little tiny bit i mean is, is mookie betts would you consider him a second baseman i mean well that's the problem right i mean i mean you know mookie betts is a better baseball player okay than nico horner is right mm -hmm. he's a better right. baseball player but he's not a second baseman that's really not is that really his position i, I fine if but then that's the only position you can judge him in okay, just, that's it that's it Right. But again, like, I, I mean, Matt McClain's better than Nico Horner. Really? Or, or Zach Geloff. Well, I'm saying I would, I'm starting there. I, I mean, you know, I, I'm saying that I'm saying that I could, I feel like you could slide him in fifth or sixth and move everybody down a peg. hundred percent agree with you on that. And I think a lot of it is about, you know, sometimes with prospects, people get excited, but some of these guys haven't proven anything yet where I feel no. like Nico has proved plenty he he did really well at shortstop and and we knew he would get that gold glove in second and he was a finalist for the gold glove before too so i just don't understand how if a guy you know was in the running one year and was the winner this year how he can't be any better than 10 all the stolen bases this year and just a solid hitter all around i just don't see how that works out but that's just me um we do have goodbyes to say to Marcus Stroman, Dustin, we weren't sure exactly what was going to happen um, with Stroh. He opted out of his Cubs deal and we were kind of shocked. You know, that was what, 20, you know, 22 million, 21, 22 million dollars. But it, it's I think it's going to be pretty strange because, you know, he did not leave on the best term with the Mets. So he is a native New Yorker. And he is a guy that in general, you know, he, he's very chirpy on social media. Um, so I would, I would be very curious to see how that reunion is going to work out. I don't know. I don't know what you're thinking, but I, it's going to be very interesting. It is a two year deal on that one. So, uh, it's going to be 37 million invested 18 for 26. If Stroh reaches 140 innings pitched in 2025. 
So, hey, you know what? Good on Stroh. He he bet on himself once again, and he did it. So, guaranteed. Yep. On, it's a great way. He bet on himself once again. Yep. And, and here's the thing. When you're as short as he is, and I'm, I'm, I'm not a tall guy, Dustin, and I'm basically, sl- I would say, slightly taller about even as him, and to think that that guy's throwing Major League Baseball against the best physical athletes in the you know in the world pretty impressive yep pretty impressive you know hey beating uh he's uh he's beating some stereotypes no doubt about it well this was really he had a instagram story that he put out shout to chicago and the entire cubs fan base organization incredible city loved every moment being there pitching at wrigley was electric each and every time very thankful to have competed for one of the most historic franchises Grateful for the coaches, my teammates and staff. They're all amazing human beings. Thank you for the support and love over the last few years. Um, I will say this about Marcus is, is through our work in Club 400, we were able to um, do a charity event for uh, the Lost Boys, a, a great group if you can support that helps kids in the South Side, um, underprivileged kids with baseball life in general, but through baseball, baseball is kind of the hook to get the kids in, but they do reading, they do life skills, all sorts of things, just a phenomenal group. And, um, I, I saw Marcus come another time to, uh, the lost boys headquarters and read his book, the grip. And he gave all the kids a free copy. He paid for uniforms for the kids. He did a lot that didn't get reported. And, you know, I mean, I'm just a little guy on Twitter or something like that. I mean, I put out what I can, but he did a lot of things that just didn't get a ton of press that I think, I will think that he was, it was great that he was able to do that. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. And it's good that he's willing to do that stuff and he's not just doing it to uh, get ink, if you will. Nope. Absolutely. One final note, our friend, Odyssey insider, uh, Bob Nightingale. It was Bobby the first Nightingale. to post it. All right. We got our first workout dates, Cub fans, February 14th. Pitchers and catchers report. If that's not true love, I don't know what is on Valentine's day. <laughs> i'm sure your wife just loves how in love you are with the cubs crawley oh yeah that's been a few a uh, few therapy sessions but 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 i regress i i am ready for pitchers like i said cubs con's done we're gonna be focusing pitchers and catchers man it, it, it's almost there almost there it's right down the uh the old calendar you can get a little warm things are warming up around here thankfully it's not uh punishment to uh to go outside well that's a wrap don't forget to listen download review and subscribe to the fly the w podcast we're on all the socials facebook instagram uh twitter you can email crawley and i fly the w670 gmail.com and watch us that's right watch us on the youtube channel by subscribing to the scores youtube page crowley have a uh fantastic weekend we'll be following all the cubs news and we'll be right back at it with everybody on monday Jed is not done, ladies and gentlemen. Let Jed cook. Go Cubs! It's all over.